What up? Welcome to the fifth episode of the Hex and Cube podcast, a podcast where we talk about tabletop games and the community that gathers around them. I am your host, Kyle Schubert, and I'm rocking it on my own tonight, because schedules. So, it's just me, and in honor of riding solo, I am cosplaying as the one and only Jason Derulo. I don't think it's pronounced like that, but he sings it like that, so that's how we're going to pronounce it. It is great to be back. Uh, It's been a while. I've had a lot of illnesses in our family, and our schedule's just been crazy, and um, so yeah, it's great to be back. Let's jump right into the news. Uh, The first thing I want to news you with is that our gaming group, the Lakes Area Board Gamers, has agreed to join forces with a local brewery for a monthly, uh, like, boards and brews kind of uh, event. So... Uh, If you are in our general vicinity, Northwest Iowa, we will be having a game night at Westo Brewery in Okaboji, Iowa on Thursday, March 19th, starting at 6 p.m. It's going to be a super good time. I think Bree's going to come, and and I think some of the other other wives are going to come as well. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be a good time. Uh, A bit of other news that I have is that on the blog, I've started a new segment where I interview designers specifically about uh, a design that I have reviewed on the blog. So, for example, the first interview that's up right now is with Jason Matthews. You might know him uh, as the designer of the well-loved Twilight Struggle. It's high up there on on BGG. Uh, But he also designed a little game called Solafide, which is a, a two-player game that I reviewed a quick minute ago. Um, so in the interview, Jason shed some light on the design process of Solafide, and it's just an all-around insightful read. So I would go check that out. And then also, right now I'm working on my review of Wisdom of Solomon, which I've mentioned before on the podcast. And I've already done my interview with its designer, Philip DeBerry which will be up hopefully, actually it'll probably be up right around the time that this episode gets uploaded. So keep your eyes peeled for those. They're awesome. Peeled like a banana. Uh, The last thing that I wanted to touch on isn't really news, but it's more of a disclaimer. So I listen to a lot of podcasts, and many of the hosts have mentioned the need to cover the new hotness in your podcast if you want to reach the widest audience possible, um, to stay relevant. And, well, while I agree to some degree with that sentiment, uh, I just wanted to give you listeners a little insight into my vision for the podcast and the blog. We are not going to necessarily focus on the newest stuff, and we will be reviewing and talking about games that are out of print, games that are hard to acquire, games that would be considered uh, old. I understand that by doing this, we're kind of aiming for a little bit more of a, a niche audience, but that's okay. That's, that's 
uh, our flavor. Uh, my goal is to inform the listeners, whomever they may be, about games that I enjoy, regardless of whether they are in print or how old they are. Um, I think there's a lot of great games that are worth pursuing that might be difficult to find. But if they're worth it, then they're worth it. So if you're looking for reviews and discussions on like the latest Kickstarters and like all the newest releases, this podcast and, and even uh, the Hex and Cube blog probably isn't going to do it for you. I, I personally think that it's important for us to know our roots and from an academic standpoint to understand the, the progression and the evolution of our game systems and uh, mechanisms and design philosophies. So, and, and I just think that there are some really great games that get overlooked if we only try and stay like super current with all the, the latest and, and shiniest games. So, so yeah, that's our vibe, that's our flavor, and I hope that some of you really enjoy it. With that out of the way, uh, that's all that I have for news tonight. It's probably going to be a shorter episode just because there's uh, less voices and less opinions and um, less people to talk. So, uh, we can get right into my most recent game night, which was last night, and it was with my wife. It's been a quick minute since uh, I had a game night with the dudes, because, you know, like I said, schedules have been crazy, and illnesses, and and, uh, all that kind of good stuff. So hopefully we can make it happen soon. Uh, But last night, Bree and I played Jorvik, which is a Steffenfeld design, published in 16, put out by Stronghold and Eggert Spiel. And... From what I understand, it's a re-implementation of a game called The Spikerstead. Probably not pronouncing that right. Uh, which, as far as, as far as I can tell, is basically just Jorvik with a different theme. So Jorvik is about Vikings, and the Spreikenschnaikers is about shipping stuff in Hamburg in, like, the early 1900s. So... Jorvik is essentially a tableau-building auction game. Uh, It's actually a very simple design. Cards come out of a deck into slots that have little tracks underneath them. And then in turn order, one at a time, each player places one of their four Viking meeples, or veeples, as I like to call them, at the topmost open slot underneath one of these face-up cards. Uh, Then once all players have placed all of their veeples, starting with the leftmost card, the player who placed the first veeple under that card must make a decision. They must decide if they are going to purchase the card or pass. Uh, If they decide to purchase it, they have to pay one coin per veeple underneath that card. So one coin per veeple that's on that card's track, including itself. Um, if you pass, you remove your veeple, and then if there is another veeple underneath it, I feel like veeple's going to get annoying. But we're going with it. So uh, if there's another veeple underneath that, that player 
now must choose to purchase or pass. Obviously, the farther down uh, each line you go, the cheaper the cards become. And, and honestly, that's like, that's the whole game. Um, the, the cards you acquire can form uh, a little engine, and it's where you score pretty much all of your points. Uh, so there's some cards that grant resources. There's, a, there's a, a bag that's filled with all of the resource cubes, and then when a ship card comes out uh, of the deck, it has a certain number of resources that you have to pull out of the bag and place onto the ship card at random. And then those cards can then be bid on and purchased. Then there's cards that allow you to immediately convert those resources into coins or victory points. There's cards that allow you to place resources on them for endgame scoring. There's cards that give you points based on how many of a certain type of card that you have. There's also cards that grant you like an accumulative defense value. So they're like your warriors. And they apply whenever an Attack of the Picks card comes out. Um, so, so this Attack of the Picks card comes out, and the player with the highest total defense value from all of your, your Viking Warriors gains a certain number of victory points that's shown on the card. And then uh, the player with the least, the, the lowest defense value, actually loses victory points. So there's a lot of things going on with the cards, um, lots of different ways to score points off of the cards, and that, that whole thing feels very much like a Feld design. He loves the point salad model, so you definitely get that feel with Jorvik. So here's my thoughts on the game. We played it at the two-player count, and it was way too long. Again, you know, this is my this is my only play. I've only played it once, so this is all with a grain of salt. But uh, the game is just for me; it, it's too simple and repetitive uh, to hold my interest for the eighty minutes that it took us to play the game. I have a theory that it will be better with more players, as the end game trigger is when the deck of cards runs out. So with two players, you're only putting out six cards per round uh, at the expert version of the game, which is what we played. Uh, with the max player count, you're going to be putting out like double that. So yes, there's more players, which means more turns, which obviously could slow the game down. But I'm hoping that the rate of cards coming out um, outweighs the, the turn length increase but that's it's just a theory at two players honestly we were both wishing that the game had basically been cut in half um it was funny we both looked at each other like halfway through the game and we were like man it, it feels like the game should have been over like the last round so it's too long at two players in the expert version there are a handful of what i would consider take that cards, which for someone like me who likes a little bit lower direct player interaction, uh, it 
it was a bit overkill for me as the pretty much the entire game centers around direct player interaction and for us felt pretty ruthless for a lot of the game so honestly i think i would just like to remove all of those cards from the game and just just play without them but i don't know what that would do to the rest of the the rest of the game like the card count and all of that so but with those two kind of complaints if you will being expressed i thought that the core mechanism was pretty interesting it's really all about the timing of where and in what order you place your little viking meeples you're trying to make the cards that your opponents want as expensive as possible while being discreet with which cards you are going after so that you can get them as cheap as possible. So it's it's very tactical, and you kind of have to be a jerk if you want to do well in the game. But I, I thought that, that that central mechanism, that interesting auction that was going on, I, I thought that that was enjoyable. But after one play, I had very polarizing feelings about the game. I, I'm a, a big Feld fan. I, I love many of his designs, and I just like him as a designer. But I never want to play the two-player version of Jorvik ever again. It was just it was just too long. I got super bored towards the 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 last half of the game. But if it were to play at like half the time with with more players it could be a really enjoyable, lightweight experience. Like, I would love it in the kind of the super filler category uh, if it was shorter. I would bust it out, you know, if we had 40, 30, 40 minutes to, to play a game. I honestly think that this would be a really enjoyable game to play if it played that quickly. But I'm afraid that it just might not, and it just might drag on, and that's part of the game, and that would be a bummer. So I'm glad that I played it because, like I said, I love Feld. Um, I love his design style. And I really did enjoy the central mechanism of the game. But I just I don't think that I would necessarily recommend uh, you listeners to go and pick it up yet. I feel like I need to play it at higher player counts before I can make a judgment. But yeah, Jorvik, it has, it has potential. I just need to explore it a little more. And that is all I have for you for our game night segment. Hopefully next episode we can talk about some some other cool games with some cool co-hosts. Let's move on to tonight's topic, which is my 2020 New Year's resolutions. was hoping to get this episode recorded a little bit earlier so it was closer to the actual uh, beginning of the new year, but you know, life happens and we're here and I'm a man of my word. So we're, we're still going to do the topic. So yeah, I'm going to talk a little bit about some of the things that, you know, I would like to change or accomplish or grow in, in 2020 and specifically relating to board games. I'm not going to be talking about my, you know, healthy eating resolutions and things like that. 
So uh, the first resolution that I have this year is I want to get all of my unplayed games played. I I try, I try my best, but sometimes I buy games a little bit faster than I can play them. And so, like, right now on my shelves, I have probably six, six or eight games that I've never played. And I would love in 2020 to get to a place where all of the games that I own, I have played at least once, and then get into the habit of when I purchase a new game, play it before I purchase another one. I, I'm sure that none of you listening can relate to this, but, you know, alone I struggle, I guess. That's my, that's my first resolution for 2020 is to get all of my unplayed games played and create a habit of playing a game close to when I buy it and then not buying another one until... Uh, it is played. My next New Year's resolution is at some point this year, I want to play an 18xx game. I am not 100% sure that I will love it, but the complexity draws me in and, and beckons me. They, from what I understand, they're, you know, they're, they can be pretty uh, aggressive and pretty cutthroat sometimes, and so that's not necessarily my jam, but yeah, I'm, I'm very intrigued. There's like an entire sub-genre of gamers that just play 18xx games, so I, yeah, I'm just, I'm very intrigued. I would love it if someone would teach it to me so that I, I don't have to read through the rule book myself. Maybe if there's a, a veteran that could teach it to me, I, that would be fantastic. But that is one of my resolutions for this year, to, to play an 18xx game. Another resolution that I have for this year is to seek out and play more independent games. Games by little-known or unknown designers or small publishers, but, but specifically games that I think would really fit in with my tastes. So, you know, I, I would love to find and play this year some medium-to-heavyweight Euro-centric games by some small publishers or unknown designers. Partly because I am a hipster gamer, and I like to find games that no one knows about, but I also know that there are some fantastic designers that no one knows about, and they are creating some amazing games, and I just want to discover them and play them, and so... In 2020, I would love to get in touch with, with more indie designers that are designing within my tastes and play their games. Kind of along those lines, my final resolution for 2020 is to either get a game that I have designed, signed by a publisher, or to self-publish 
or, or kickstart uh, a game of my own. I have been working on a couple designs for quite a long time now that are getting very close to the point of being publishable. And I would love it if in 2020 I was able to make the leap either you know, with a publisher or on my own via Kickstarter and, and start getting my designs out into the world. This would probably be closer to like the end of this year, but it would be great if it, if it was actually in 2020. And I think it's possible. I think that uh, one game specifically, uh, Mintrospection, the game that I've putting, been putting a lot of effort into, um, I, I think is just really close. And just recently, I made some decisions about that game specifically, and those decisions being that I am going to self-publish it, and I have a clear vision for it, for the art direction and for the theme. And I just I just decided that, like, at least with that game and, and a couple of other designs that I've been working on, I, I just want to put out the game that I want to put out. I understand that publishers are trying to make money. They're trying to make their, their companies work. And so they're looking for very specific things generally. And at this point in my life and, and at this point in, in what I'm doing and how I'm doing things, I just, I just want to put out the game that I want to put out. And so, yeah, I'm going to be working on really figuring out what that's going to look like, finding some artists or an artist to work with, doing a lot more research on what it takes to run a Kickstarter. I'm going to dive into all of the Jamie Stegmeier stuff and just try and wrap my head around it and, and get a better grasp for it. And you know what? It would be fantastic if by the end of this year, my game or games probably just singular game, was on Kickstarter and I could get it into people's hands to play. So those are my 2020 gaming resolutions. I know the, the other guys wish that they could have been here to share their resolutions with you. I know John, one of John's was to lose to me a little less this year, which, you know, sorry, John, that probably won't happen, but uh, it's, it's good to have dreams. Just kidding. I literally lose like every game that we ever play, but I'll keep trying. That's actually my fifth 2020 resolution is to beat John more consistently. It's going to be tough, but dreams are magic. Our topic for next episode is going to be deceptive games. And what I mean by that is games that don't quite play as they appear that they would. So how does perception of a game and expectation play into our gaming experiences? So we will uh, have that discussion on the next episode. You know what? That's all I have for you tonight. Like I said, a little bit shorter of an episode, but I hope that you had a thoroughly enjoyable time. If you want to connect with me on the social medias, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Make sure you go check out all of the written articles, including the new designer interviews, at hexandcube.com. And we will 
Catch you later on the flip side. Alligator mashed potato. Peace.